Minasan konnichiwa and welcome to the Board Game Dojo where today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We are going to be doing an absolutely definitive, no arguments needed, tier ranking of the E10 Funbrick series thus far. We now have nine games in the series that range a wide array of genres and we want to answer the question for you, hey, I'm looking at the Funbrick series, what are the best of the best? Now we've talked before about Ethan and how difficult it is to really compare Ethan games to the ether of board games, saying that a great Ethan game might not be a great game mechanically or critically speaking. So really the tier rankings that we're doing are really comparing them to each other to answer that question I just mentioned. What are the Funbrick series games that are worth the money to import and which maybe are not? So let me pop on my glasses, take a sip of coffee, and let's get going on the tier ranking system. All right, today we are going to really be breaking down these games into five categories. Great, good, fine, meh, and really not recommended. Now we're doing these in order of the Fun Brick series because I've seen some sites say Fun Brick series number one and some sites will say the actual game name. So we're going to do them in order so that you can easily find it. So the first one that we are going to come to is Bonfire Party. Bonfire Party is a cooperative game in which each player will be handed a hand of red and blue matchsticks. Then on the count of three, everybody will simultaneously reveal between one and three matchsticks of their choice. The goal is that the total around the table of one of the two colors will equal the same total of the round number. So for example, in round one, you want the total of the table to be either one red or one blue. In round two, you want a total of two reds or two blues around the entire table. If you're able to do that, then you build a portion of the fire and you move on to the next round. The goal is to complete the entire fire before everybody runs out of matchsticks. This game to us feels like a worse version of the mind at twice the price. Yes, it does look better than the mind, absolutely. In fact, it is one of the best looking games in this entire series, but there is so little way of mitigating the luck that happens, or really not the luck, but how people are choosing. I mean, there's no real way to help each other out, and you are silently picking these matchsticks. Now, to a point, you are going to be able to math out what possible matchsticks people have left because everybody starts with five red and five blue, but by that point that you can figure it out, you've probably already mathematically lost the game. So you, it does become more of a game of not trying to win, but trying to see how far you can go. Again, it does really look great, but in terms of a game and how much fun we actually have playing it, it is probably in the bottom tier of the series. I'm going to put it into the meh category. Let's go to game number two, which is Gold Hunting. Gold Hunting is a push your luck style game for two players where during setup, both players will create towers built out of gold pieces that are either one, two, or three gold pieces stacked on top of each other and like glued together. Once you reveal your towers to the other player, you will then, one at a time, need to take away the topmost piece of one of the towers of your opponents. But as you do, you need to actually call your shot as to how many gold pieces you think that piece is making up. So if I think the top of the middle tower is made out of two gold pieces, I will then take it. If I'm right in it, in fact, was two gold pieces, I get to keep it, and those are maybe going to be points later. And I say maybe because if I am wrong, then I actually lose all of the gold pieces that I've gathered 
thus far. Now there are ways of like saving your progress for half the points or getting bonus points for one time, really, really being confident that you're going to call your shot. But that is about the extent of it. And I have to say, we really, I don't know, when we read the rules of this game, we really had some good expectations that we were going to go into it with a fun push your luck series game. I mean, there's not a whole lot of games that are push your luck for two players, and maybe this game is kind of exemplary as to why. The rules end up bogging down the game and overcomplicating it way past where it needed to actually be. And the components actually really let that rule set down too, because at some point you're actually easily able to tell how many pieces that topmost thing is made out of just by simply looking at it. Add into the fact that because both of you have the same amount of pieces, like three count pieces and two count pieces, that you're actually just able to math that out even if you're not able to do that in pretty much any other board game out there. We had to implement a house rule in which we had to keep things on a timer. Like you had three seconds to figure it out. Otherwise, it got to the point where every single game we were basically almost 100% of the time getting it right. Although really good idea in theory, I think that this one just needs a little bit more workshopping and is just, we cannot recommend it at this point. The next game is Three Second Try, which is a party game in which one at a time, you will choose between a mental and a physical challenge. The mental challenge will be something like how many capital cities can you name? And the physical challenge will be something like how many jumping jacks can you do? Now, the main component of this game is a three second timer. That is a metal ball on a ramp. And as you can probably guess, this metal ball on a ramp takes three seconds exactly to fall and get the magnet at the end. Once the person reveals what the challenge is going to be, they will start the ball on the timer, and when that ball hits the magnet, everybody needs to shout out a number of how many they think they can do in three seconds. But it ends up actually being a little bit less than three seconds, because you have to be able to do it and stop the ball before it reaches the magnet. Whoever shouts the largest number has to actually prove that they can do it. If they can do it, then great, they take that card and they take it as a point. But if they fail in doing it, then the person who shouted the second highest number then gets a chance to do it. It's the first player to get two cards that wins the game. But honestly, we stopped playing with that quite early on because we just wanted to keep playing it. Three second try is really a try umph of a fun brick series game. It not only doesn't take a whole lot of components, so therefore we can travel with it anywhere, and really the only real room you need to actually play this game is a flat surface to get the timer, the cards you can kind of put anywhere. But it is so easily explainable to anyone that we have been able to play this with almost anyone. Now, I will say a lot of the cards and mental challenges that you have to do do tend to gear more towards adults and what adults might be knowledgeable about. It's not so much like an inappropriate thing or anything like that. It's more like, hey, how many capital cities can you name? And if you're playing with somebody who's six, they might not be able to really name very many of those. But you can filter through those cards. There's not a whole lot of them because you also have like, how many colors can you name as well? But because how easy it is to explain how much success we've had with it, we are actually putting it in the great category. All right, nice little recovery for our fun brick series. So let's move on to the next one, which is the first Reiner Knizia game we will talk about, Viking Seesaw. Viking Seesaw is a game in which you'll be playing on a teeter-totter that looks like a Viking ship. Both teams will have a ponytail holder full of items that have different weights and weird shapes, and they will need to put them down on the side of the Viking seesaw that is tilted up. 
And the goal is that you don't want that side of the teeter-totter to fall over because if you put down an item on that side and it falls over, then you have to take an extra one of these like treasure chest square pieces from the middle and then you also have to take any pieces that might have fallen off the Viking ship. You want to be the player with the least amount of pieces left by the game's end as possible. Now, I would forgive you if you were sitting there and wondering how this could be any fun. In fact, that was how we first started as well. But I tell you, this game has actually been the most successful at the widest range of ages of any game in the entire Fun Brick series. It is fun to try to defy the laws of physics huh, by somehow putting a meeple on top of a metallic bowl and it just works for some reason. Or you try to put the metallic gold bar on your side to try to put it just, just heavy enough where it doesn't tip the scales, but as soon as your opponent puts on anything, even their lightest item, there is no chance that that boat is not going to tip over. We have enjoyed this at 1v1 and 2v2, and I do actually really recommend this because, again, the rules overhead is not very much, and it is so easily accessible. So this one is going into the great section. I should actually put this so that they're the same sizes. All right, the next one that we have in line is Stick Collection, number five. And this is the first of the remakes. Now, should I call them remakes or kind of updates that Ethan has done in this series? We'll get to a couple more later. Stick Collection is an auction game in which one player will take out a stick from the box and then put it up for auction. People will bid their points in order to get that stick, judging the length of the stick that they think it is. Let me tell you, as a former high school guy, we do put a lot of value in the length of sticks. Now, the reason that you're actually bidding for these length of sticks is because one, you immediately win if you get four of the same length of stick. But the other way of winning is that at the end of the game, you will create a set of all the sticks that you won in your auction, and you are trying to get sticks that are exactly five millimeters difference. You will then count up your points, and whoever has the most points wins. Well, sounding really good in theory, and we were really excited about this one, it just really doesn't work that well. Um, I really can't put my finger on as to one particular reason why it doesn't work, but for us, it just never seemed to take the right amount of time that it should. This game should probably take about 15 to 20 minutes. The whole gimmick of seeing a stick, bidding on the stick, and then, you know, the per player gets the stick, and then you move on to the next one. Like, it's a, it's a decent gimmick to it, but I was done with it after 15, 20 minutes. But the game takes double that, and I just got to the point where, and not just me, but the other players at the table just got to the point that we just wanted the game to be over. The other thing is that it just kind of isn't very good at both of the things that it is trying to do. It's just a mediocre auction game. I mean, it is kind of cool that you're bidding points, but I've seen that other places that work better. And there's not enough there in terms of the funness of judging the length of a stick, which some people just literally can't do because of their depth perception. Uh, there's just too many things working against this to really be able to recommend this one. I am putting it in the meh category as the second one in that category. All right, so let's go to the next one, which is the first of the ones that we have not covered in a previous video. We had already covered those first five ones, and if you wanted to hear more detail about those ones, it's the second ever video we did on the Board Game Dojo. But the next one is Judge Domino, and this is another remake update that they did that was actually a game that they released only a couple years ago, I think, called Chicken Domino. Judge Domino is a game in which you will be setting up 
different weights and different sizes of dominoes in a line. But at any point, somebody, instead of putting a domino down in the line on their turn, they can say judge. And then people will vote on whether or not they think the dominoes will fall and all of them will fall down by tipping over the one that is last in line, or if in fact will not. If it sounds like I'm being reductionist, nope, that is actually legitimately it. I don't really have a problem with the price and that the fact that they're putting each one of these at the exact same price, but this was the first one in the series where I went, what exactly did I pay for here? Because there aren't that many components into it. There's not a whole lot of game to it. I played it once and I was ready to move it on because there just isn't that much here. This feels like a game in which you would open up the rules and there should be like five different game modes, but there isn't. This was the, really the first one where I went, okay, you know what? I'm mildly happy. I'm decently happy with how the game went, but I just want more. I want more rule set. I want more variance. I want something else here because that one gimmick just doesn't last very long in terms of fun. I'm at least glad that the game is short, so it doesn't fall into the same thing of stick collection where I was kind of bored and then I still had to play for another 20 minutes, but I do want a bit more for the price on this one. This one is actually going to be the first split ranking that we are going to do because this one all depends on who you are playing it with. I think that if you are playing this one with kids, then this one is actually going to be a fine game. I think that they might have fun and you know, playing games with kids, they tend to make up their own rules that honestly, this game just needed other variants anyway, so why not just play with kids who make stuff up anyway? And it can be fun actually using it as a teaching tool of like the physics of things and seeing how they kind of think about, okay, why did that domino fall, but not that one? But if you're playing with this one with adults, it is just meh. All right, let's move on to the next one, which is Ninja Master, the second Reiner Knizia one in the series. I'm just gonna get a drink of coffee here. Ninja Master is a speed game in which you're gonna roll a bunch of dice in a ring, and based on the results of those dice, you are going to grab different items around the ring. Now, I'm not gonna explain every single one of them, but I think the one that is most important to explain is the katana, because this might actually dictate whether your group is going to like this game or not. Add into the speed element the fact that you have a katana in front of someone. If you roll more katanas than ninja stars and you grab the katana faster than the person that has a katana in front of themselves, then they lose half of their points. And because this game is a game that you win by reaching a point threshold, you might have just put them from almost just about to win to, oh man, I've got a long way to go again. I think those two things in combination not only give this game its personality, but it also makes this game the most divisive game in the entire series. A, I think people have very strong feelings on speed games in general, whether they like to have a dexterity element to it that is all about how fast they can be in the reaction time that it is or not. But secondly, the fact of how they feel about that take that element that is, they can be so close to winning and then lose half their points. It just doesn't really feel very good when it happens to you. But for our group, that really hasn't tended to be too much of an issue. The only thing we've actually run into is that the game can be overly long because we just get so good at grabbing that katana so fast. In which case, we've actually just house ruled it that instead of reaching a point threshold, it's whoever can win by X amount of points then wins because we've just gotten so good at it. But that's also because we have just played this one a lot. I think this one, along with one that we're going to get to later, probably had the most personality of all of the games in the series. And I like what it's kind of exemplifying of having a lot of game into a very tiny package. And so for therefore, we are going to put it in the good category. Just not reaching great because I think it is just so hard to universally recommend this because I think too many people are going to have a problem with something in this. 
Next one we have is Tower of Doubt. These are this is one of the new pairings of the Funbrick series that just came out. Tower of Doubt is a two-player described as a psychological warfare game. And this one actually dates back to 2012 was the first edition of it. In this game, you will have dots on the top of different towers that you can see and a point value on the bottom of the tower that you cannot see. You'll take the towers out of the box and set them up in front of you and your opponent so that the towers, you can see half of it and your opponent can see half of it. So you're seeing half the dots that can make hints at different values of what is on the bottom of those towers and your opponent is seeing different dots that will give them hints as to what's on the bottom of different towers. Then you'll start the game by each player looking at the bottom of one tower of their choice and then the game begins. You'll be putting your tokens on different towers so that you can be in control of that tower because whoever's in control of that tower gets the points at the bottom of that tower. However, there's a lot of bluffing that goes on in this game. Maybe you saw a very low value tower, but you put your token on top of it because you want your opponent to actually take control of that tower because whoever puts the second token on top of that tower is automatically in control of it. Nobody can take that away from you. So you might bluff them and be like, ha 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 ha, this is a good tower. And then they'll go like, oh, I believe you. I'm going to put my token on top of that tower. And they just got the lowest point tower. But you might also do the opposite, which is see a very good tower point value, go to a different tower so that your opponent thinks the tower you saw isn't very good. At the end of the round, you'll take a look at what towers you're in control of. If you got both of the two point towers, you automatically win. But if that doesn't happen, then whoever got more points wins the round. And you typically play this in three rounds. There is an advanced variant mode that is really nice to play with after a couple of times where you actually leave one of the towers in the box so that you don't know which tower is not out there. So you might be without the really good four point tower or you might be without one of the two two point towers that would allow you to automatically win. So that's a nice advanced variant. And at the end of the day, this game actually feels really nice. It feels very similar to other games that I've played lately, like Whale to Look, where you're doing that bluffing thing of being able to see some kind of limited information that your opponent doesn't have and trying to make them think about what you just saw. Okay, they didn't bid on the one that they just saw, so it must not be good. Or they just bid on the one they just saw, so it must be good. Are they bluffing or are they not? And because of that, this is actually going to be the second split ranking that we have because I think that this game really shines its brightest when you can play with somebody that you either A, play games with a lot already, or B, have a dedicated gaming partner in which you can play this a bunch of times and then start adding in that advanced variant at times because I actually think the advanced variant really adds something to it. But if you don't have somebody like that or don't have somebody that you play with games a lot or don't have somebody that you really like to um, evaluate how each other are thinking and adjust to exactly what they're thinking and figure out how they're bluffing or not, right? Then I think that this game can fall short in those groups. So this is going to be a good slash fine ranking where again, if you have a dedicated game partner, this one is a good one. If you don't have one, then this is just fine. And that brings us to the last one, which is Wonder Bowling, the newest title in the Fun Brick series. So for this game, I want you to just think about the fact that like there's bowling pins and the nomenclature of bowling, but basically nothing else, because I found that the best way of actually explaining this to people is to kind of just say that and then explain the rules afterwards, because there are so many different things about 
this game than there is actual bowling. So first of all, the game comes with 10 pins, but it also comes with a basically a wand in which on one side has a big heavy ball and the other side has a much smaller, lighter ball. You're gonna set the pins up on the back of the box that comes inside of this and you can set them up in any way you want. So you can put them in a bowling formation if you want, but you can also just put them up in a line or scattered around the box however you want. Now, each player at the beginning of the game will take four target tokens. Two of these target tokens will have a strike on them, and two of them will have a number on them. A strike in this game is if you can knock down all the pins except for one. You have to leave one pin remaining, because if you knock down all of them, then that's a penalty, which I'll describe a bit later. The other target tokens will have a number on them, and this is how many you want to have left standing after you smack the box with the wand. So say you have a four as a target token, you want to smack the box and leave four pins left standing. That's also why I say, hey, think about it a little bit differently in the bowling, because originally you would think, oh, if I have a four, I should knock down four pins. The next different thing is that if you don't do a strike or if you don't um, knock down all of the pins, then the next player just plays with the same pins that are left standing. So if you only knock down three of the 10 pins, let's say, then the next player will start their turn with seven of the 10 pins left standing, and then they can achieve their target, or they can get a strike by knocking down six of the seven pins. Now, I did talk about penalties earlier, and that happens when somebody knocks down all the pins, or they touch one of the pins, or they smack the box so lightly that no pins fall over. You will just take an additional target token from the discard pile. Now, there are two ways in which this game can end. One is if somebody just achieves all of their target tokens. That's the main way of winning. But for the first couple times you play this game, you will probably get into the other way of winning, which is survival mode. If you've actually, as a, as a group, taken all the penalty tokens so that there's none left, then it's survival mode, which means that if you commit a penalty, you are just eliminated from the game and it's last person standing. Now, of all the games that we've covered today, this one took the longest amount of time for us to figure out where we wanted to put it. And we went into a review of it last week on the podcast, but still, even for this video, we were like, uh, where do we put this one? Because this one so well demonstrates the concept of the Fun Break series. This is, again, an updated version of a one-coin game that was super cheap like 10 years ago called Giddy Giddy Bowling. And they updated it. The rule set, even though it's a little bit complicated, actually just makes the components work, which we like. But there's also negatives to this one that are going to make people fall off hard on this one. This one, pretty much every single time we've played it, has had a miserable first game. It's kind of like you're getting taken to a bowling alley and the bowling alley says our bumpers aren't working today, so you're just going to have to go bowling with the gutters. And Lo and behold, it turns out that people who have never done bowling before just get a bunch of zeros and aren't having that much fun. This one takes that, but the difference is saying, nobody's done this before. There is no way that you were going to be good at this your first time, your second time. And so the first game can tend to be really, really frustrating. But if you are willing to put up with that, or you just go in with that mindset and get everybody's ready to be like, we are all going to be bad at this game, then this game is actually really quite fun. This is the other game that I talked about earlier where it just has so much personality to it with the bright colors and the fact that you're just like smacking a box with a wand. It's just, it's kind of silliness and really what the Fun Brick series I think is supposed to be about. I really do think that it is a smart option to have, yes, once you get good at this, there is that way of winning in which you want to achieve all your target tokens, but it is not fun when everybody is bad at this and have to continue playing this game. So we have that survival mode. And actually it means that either way, you are not playing this game for very long. We play this game in about 10 to 15 minutes around. 
which means that you are not only getting a chance to quickly get to reset and if you lose then you can try again but if everybody is not good and you're just not having that much fun with it the game is over really quite quickly I think for some groups, this game might be the best in the entire series. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think this one actually has the highest Board Game Geek ranking of any of them. But put, take it with a pinch of salt because it is also the newest. But for some groups, they might just get a little bit too frustrated with it because it is hard to be good at this from the very get-go. So know your group well. I'm struggling between putting this in good or great, but I think because of how well it exemplifies the Fun Break series and the fact that they made bowling work in a small package, I'm going to put it in the great one. So at the end of the day, we have our great ones, which is Three Second Try, Viking Seesaw, and Wonder Bowling. We have our good ones, which are Ninja Master, and if you have a dedicated gaming partner, Tower of Doubt. We have Fine being Judge Domino if you're playing with kids. The meh ones are Bonfire Party and Stick Collection, and the not recommended one is Gold Hunting. Ultimately, we can pick nits between what the difference is between a great and a good game, or a meh game and a not recommended game. But I think actually at the end of the day, what doing this tier ranking has actually taught us is that in the Fun Break series, the nine games that have come out so far, there is a definitive top five and a definitive bottom four. The top five of Three Second Try, Viking Seesaw, Ninja Master, Tower of Doubt, and Wonder Bowling, all of those games might be really, really good or the best game for your group, whereas for other groups, they just are absolute whiffs. Whereas we're more confident that the bottom four of Bonfire Party, Stick Collection, Gold Hunting, and Judge Domino will be less likely to be a favorite among your group. Or you might have something that's similar to it in some way already in your collection. And that's something that maybe helped some games like Viking Seesaw and Wonder Bowling, games that we just like have no idea where you were going to find that elsewhere, versus something like Stick Collection. That's an auction game that is probably more expensive than it needs to be, and you probably already have a better auction game in your collection that is half the price. If that's the best way to have evaluated these games, we're not sure, but we found it maybe is going to be the best and most helpful for you. But if you play these games or not, do you agree with our rankings or not? Tell us your opinion down in the comments below. I think there's holiday season as we're trying to buy people presents. It's a nice thing to have a bunch of different opinions on it. You can also leave a comment below if you want us to continue doing tier rankings for maybe different publishers or different game series to help you out in your holiday shopping or just in general. And don't forget to like and subscribe to us on all of our platforms. We don't cover every game on every platform, so you can get the widest array of game coverage from Asia. Thank you so much for watching today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, jalne!